This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Team you hate playing again? Yeah, uh, yeah I guess fucking auto, I guess. <laughs> We're a team. Hey everyone, thank you for joining. We are live back with a brand new episode of the Sends Hour podcast. We are back with Derek Lee, and I think this is what, your third or fourth episode in a row that you're joining us? Yeah, something like that. It's been a slice. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. There's been a, a lot of Sens news to talk about. Uh, and I mean, there's now a lot of hockey news considering the things that are going on in uh, the Ontario Hockey League. Uh, they came out a couple of weeks ago with their return to play. They wanted like a February uh, startup. The WHL has start, is starting up January 8th and the Quebec League has already started. But the reason why that's important is that Lisa McLeod has – been very adamant that there is no contact for the OHL, and on the le- on the on the surface, I feel like it's uh, it's a questionable decision. Uh, but something that I don't think a lot of people know is that this is Ontario hockey. This isn't just the OHL. Uh, if you're if you want uh, the Ontario Hockey Federation in their whole return to play layout, it does mention like the no contact. Um, the, the Carlton place Canadians that play, I think in the CCHL started up at the beginning of October with no contact kind of scrimmages, but I think it's important. I mean, it clearly it's important to a lot of, a lot of people, the hitting and the contact. So, you know what, uh, Derek, what's your opinion on it? Because I've been very vocal on, on Twitter about how my opinions on it are. So, so what are what are yours? Yeah, I, I noticed that, Shane. I think um, I probably have the opposite opinion where um, I think it's it's going to hurt the league um, and it's going to hurt the players developmentally. Um, hockey is just, to me, it's just not hockey if you don't have contact. I mean, I think of a player like Quinton Byfield, who I think we are all, you know, looking at uh, potentially as one of our uh, picks. Um, going to LA, if they choose to develop him now in the Ontario Hockey League in Sudbury, and they want him to work on his physicality, which is probably the missing component to his game uh, for a player at his size, he really can't do that this year. So you might look at those isolated situations and and choose to develop your player in the NHL rather than sending them down to the OHL. So um, I know it's it's out of the league's control. It's a it's a government thing. I did see that uh, Rob Ford uh, just, uh, or sorry, uh, Doug Ford just uh, commented on this, um, and he is going to look into it ahead of league play for the OHL specifically. So hopefully something's um, able to get done at the government level, allowing contact. To me, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense that you you. I mean, naturally, when you're playing hockey, you you have to make contact. It's just part of the sport. So I don't see how that's any more detrimental to COVID numbers. Uh, if, if that's the case, don't play at all. Yeah, and I mean, I think I've been vocal in the sense that, like, I don't agree with the decision. I think it's ridiculous. Uh, the NHL, and I mean, uh, with football going on, there hasn't really been many cases linked to the actual, like, to contact. 
Uh, Lisa McLeod talked about how, you know, the outbreak and the, the queue was the reason for this decision. But realistically, like, I don't really see that being because of contact. I think it's it's kind of narrow-minded to be like, oh, it's because they're hitting each other that they're uh, that they're getting all these tests. I, I don't think that's the case. I think people just broke protocols. Um, one person wasn't tested quickly. Enough. It, there's so many other variables that could have been pl- in play, and I think it's it's narrow-minded yeah. for Lisa McLeod mm-hmm. to kind of be like, you know, no contact because of the Quebec League. Uh, getting this outbreak. But personally, I think it's it's great for development because we're going to see we could have the potential of seeing a lot more Mark Stones. Cuz you know, we both see we both watch Mark Stone in Ottawa for the number of years. He isn't very good. He doesn't take the body. He's not a he doesn't take the puck by taking the body. He uses a stick. And I think if you ask a lot of hockey people is what's the biggest challenge for players coming into the league and it's how to use your stick properly. And I think if you were to get rid of contact uh, you would see players kind of increase that skill. You would see players being able to take the puck away by playing the stick properly and getting in the shooting lanes. And you wouldn't see these unnecessary hits that lead to these big goals. And, and when I feel like it had, and I don't agree with the idea. Oh, if you don't have, if they don't hit for four months, uh, it's going to cause problems at the next level. Uh, I can see the, the worry that, okay, it can be spun in a, like a, oh, you know, we're going to, we had really good successful, like four months of hockey without contact. It proves that we don't need contact in hockey. Injuries are down this, that, and the other thing. And I think that's what more people, people are really worried about subconsciously over four months of them playing hockey. I think they're worried of like the snowball effect. Right. And I, I see to your point, like I see, um, you know, players will have to learn how to use their sticks more effectively. Um, but I do worry about the players where, you know, their bread and butter is physicality and really they wouldn't be in the position they're in without it. Um, so th- there are some players that aren't very physical and, you know, Mark Stone is a prime example of a, a big player who you would think is pretty physical, but you know, he's just someone that developed a knack for using his stick. But I think he's such an anomaly uh, that it's hard to compare other players to Mark Stone. Um, his overall hockey sense is just completely off the charts. And I think that helps his, um, helps, helps him use his stick positioning, you know, so much more. Um, but, but I do kind of worry developmentally if, if I know it's only four months, but if players just develop these bad habits of not taking the body at all in areas where they need to. And I mean, the other point I have is just that I don't, I just don't see how this makes sense. Like, I don't know how that's any more detrimental and how that's going to cause any more numbers uh, versus taking the body. Like if you're going to play, play. And if you're not going to play, don't play. Oh, a hundred percent agree. I think, you know, I just, I worry that, you know, these players are going to be off for 14 months. You know, I, how, how detrimental would it be for a guy like Shane Wright to just lose a year and a half of hockey uh, you know, yeah, he's out in camp for, for Team Canada, which is great. But, you know, if you had to look at a player like like anyone who's draft eligible in 21 or 22, losing a year and a half, that contact or no contact, that's detrimental to their development. And I think if you're the OHL, you have to look at it as, you know, we're starting late 
we're starting in February. So either that means you you allow players to to go now and just say, you know what, you, if there's openings in in the Western Hockey League or uh, in uh, the Quebec League that they want you there, or if if you're signed to a team and they want you to go over and they can loan you overseas, that's probably what the OHL has to look at. But realistically, that's probably not the case. And you have to decide, like, is being off for 18 months really going to help? Or do we suck it up and play four months, maybe five months max of contactless hockey? I think most players and personnel would probably take the four months of four or five months of contactless hockey over sitting at home for 18 months. Right. Because at least it's something organized and, you know, they're at least getting, you know, getting games in and getting reps in. Um, I think regardless, it, it hurts developmentally for a kid like Shane, Wright, Like you mentioned. Um, and I do wonder if there will be like a huge influx of players going to Europe, um, trying to get on a, a European team. I know the leagues are already going out there, but um, you know, perhaps that's something that they, uh, a player highly touted like Shane Wright would, would uh, consider. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's going to affect the league no matter what, you know, if, if they buckle down on this whole con, like we want contact and they end up not playing, you know, they look, uh, I think they look in the, they look like the bad guy, you know, it's, it's the one of those like lesser of two, lesser of two evils, you know, you have a choice to make and, you're putting one aspect of the game above the game itself. How does that look? Personally, I just want them to play. I think it's just, you know, these play these players haven't, most of them haven't played since, you know, uh, March of, of, of 2020. And they probably, you know, if you look at Quinton Byfield and like Perfetti, uh, you know, Rossi signed with Minnesota and has been sent to uh, uh, SC, SSC in Switzerland. But, you know, Byfield hasn't been sent anywhere. Uh, Lafreniere hasn't been sent anywhere. So, luckily, Byfield's going to the World Junior Camp in the middle of November. So, there's that. But, like, there's players that are sitting here being like, we just want to play. We don't care if there's contact. And here's the thing. You know, they've been – the game has gotten faster. I think we can all agree that the game speed has increased quite a bit. You don't see the the same kind of contact that you see – we saw it like five, six, seven years ago. Yeah, we're not talking about Scott Stevens on Paul Korea stuff. <laughs> no, and I mean, how how many times have we seen you know Connor McDavid beat someone who's trying to go for the hit? You know, I think in person, I think sometimes hitting the the idea of hitting or laying, making that big hit kind of unravels your your defensive mindset. I mean, we saw it in the the Stanley Cup playoffs where, you know, a defenseman pitches to make the hit, they they give up a two-on-one and they score, right? If you know you can't make that play, you're going to be better defensively. And I think as much as it sucks, the no contact, you have to make – if that's the case, you have to make the most of it. And I think players would, would benefit, especially defenders, might benefit more. Yeah, it would suck for the guys who do rely on that physical build, but I think it also eliminates those guys that, you know, only rely on physicality. And that they come up here and then they're getting, you know, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but, you know, prime examples are guys like Eric Griba and, and Ben Harper who 
rely heavily on their size. And if they don't, if they can't use their size, they're not very good. Is that necessarily a bad thing in the long run? I, I don't know. I don't think it is. Yeah, I, I see your point. I see the counterpoints um, that people are making. Um, I, I think, like you said, at the end of the day, we just want these kids playing hockey and they just want to play hockey. Uh, whatever that looks like at the end of the day, um, you know, it is what it is. It's unprecedented times here. So hopefully we could just uh, see these kids play some hockey in some way, shape or form. Yeah, I mean, I... I hope that they can figure something out. They have until February. So, like, they have until the end of January because I think training camp opens January 23rd. And, I mean, also, what does this do with the OHL and the the NHL, right? Because if you're not going to allow the OHL to have contact, are you going to allow your, you know, the Toronto Marlies and the Belleville Senators to have contact? Or are they going to have to find another place to play? And then what about the Senators and Leafs? Like, are they, are you going to allow the NHL to have contact in in Ontario, where are they going to go have to go to Montreal or whatever to, to play? So it's just like you're setting the price. Like there's a trend that you're setting if you say that the OHL can't have contact, but you're like, oh, yeah, well, the AHL and the NHL can't. Like there, there's a double standard there and you have to, there's a fine line. And I think because of that, I think the OHL will have contact. I, I agree. I think it's going to get sorted out. I think they're going to look at it and um, probably, you know, see it for what it is, which is kind of silly. Um, if you're allowing them to play, you know, you're going to have board battles no matter what. You're going to have close quarter play. Uh, it's the game of hockey. If you look at it as a whole, there's going to be contact, and I really don't see the point in eliminating uh, no in, in having the game play with no contact. Like I just, if it's if it's ruled that it's unsafe to play, then it's unsafe to play. Um, but if you're adding these kind of gimmicky little rules, I, I just don't see it happening. I think it's it's going to go. Um, it's going to get overturned and I think we'll see contact a hundred percent. And I remember seeing a comment. I can't remember if it was just like someone on Twitter being like, Oh, you know, there, or if it was actually like a source, I can't find it. But there was a comment that I saw saying that they're going to go to either three on, they're talking about going to three on three or four on four. So they can spread out the, uh, players on the bench a little bit more. And I just, I saw it and I was like, this is ridiculous. Like if they went to that, they may as well just not play. Yeah. Again, not hockey. Like we're talking about, you know, three on three, something that they added recently for overtimes. And again, that's not recreating what an actual hockey game is like. Uh, Even four on four for the whole game would be, I mean, goal scoring would be unbelievable. I'm sure it'd be entertaining, but you'd have games like 12 to 10 (laughs) if you're going three on three. Here's the thing. Personally, I think they talk about, uh, increasing scoring you know we've a lot of people have been watching european hockey what about the possibilities of turning into like a a hybrid ice model where it's a little bit bigger not as big as international but definitely a little bit wider uh i think it would create that personally just making it a little bit wider would be fantastic for a guy like for playmakers and those guys with burning speed that can just kind of get around defenders it would create more competition it would create more offense without decreasing the safety of a goaltender I think that's, see, that's a much better idea. (laughs) Maybe you should talk to some people about that because I think, honestly, I'm in love with that idea. I think, like you said, not necessarily an international ice side surface, but something in the middle, like a hybrid ice surface, just allowing players with more space. I've been a fan of something like that for years. I think um, the game is moving towards skill. Um, I have no problem with increasing, you know, the ice size and allowing our players like uh, like a Tim Stutzla to, you know, take full advantage of the extra room that he would have out there. 
I think it would add to the fun factor. Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to picture trying to defend a guy like McDavid with that extra little width of ice and just seeing him blow by you, and you're like, I tried. <laughs> uh, yeah, it would, it would highlight those skilled players even more. And I think that's something the NHL already struggles to do uh, versus leagues like the NBA or, you know, other leagues where the the star players are much more in the forefront. Um, So this would be something that would benefit the league, I think, in the long run, too. That's a great idea. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it would just cost a little bit because you would have to retrofit all your your ranks but i think it's something that you know in the long run would and it would also help european prospects right because i think especially defensemen who are and goaltenders who are so used to the bigger ice their your reaction time and your your play is very different than what it is in north america and yeah goaltenders i mean the, the whole angle is different right like you're playing on a different ice surface like that your your whole positioning is different so i i agree it would eliminate that transition time yeah i mean we've been talking a little bit about you know byfield and whatnot being going to the world junior camp that i believe is scheduled for like november starts november 23rd or something like that goes until december 13th uh ottawa prospect uh our third pick with the islanders pick of the 2022 draft ridley craig was announced as one of the invitees to the camp i think from what i've seen he's kind of more of a long shot uh especially with kirby doc being loaned and then there's talk of lafreniere being loaned by the rangers because they feel like there's no set stone no set date you know getting him on the ice would be paramount apparently there's supposed to be decision sometime next week if that's actually going to happen i don't know but you know it's a it's a good thing to see that you know ridley craig has been at least invited to the camp yeah it's nice to see greg invited and i think we are just on the topic of physicality and i mean what a perfect example right there of a player who thrives off that physicality so um it'll be interesting too to see if the world juniors allows the physical play um because i think if they do then perhaps someone like ridley greg and i think he is a long shot like you said uh but perhaps someone like him could um could make the roster as a role player on the fourth line um it's it's definitely an interesting uh interesting proposal um and i like things that uh that greg brings to a team like team canada who's mostly going to be regarded as a skilled team um and they always do take you know every year they take one or two players that adds something a little bit different so perhaps that gives him a a bit of an advantage yeah and i mean it sounds like Tourney uh, likes him, likes what he brings. Could slot in as like a third or fourth line kind of guy, penalty killer. Probably won't see many minutes, but I think he'll have a, a an impact nonetheless if he's on the team. But you know, one one player, you know, we talk about Team Canada. You know, our second round pick, literally a couple of picks after Ridley Gregg, Robbie Yarventi is lighting it up in Liga. Uh, you know, eleven points in twelve games, five goals, six assists. This guy went from a who to a when is he coming over kind of prospect in a month. It's ridiculous that he's coming as a 19 year old. I think there he's uh, uh, there. There's talk he's going to be on team Team Finland's World Junior roster. Uh, so another guy to look at when it comes to the World Juniors. But man, Robbie uh, Robbie Yarventi is just killing it right now over in Finland. I'm so glad you brought him up. I mean. Just watching kind of his rise all of a sudden out of nowhere. This kid just turned 19. He's, he was one of the youngest players. So to see him rise this quickly, I mean, it's insane. He, he's 
putting these points up in the number one league in Finland. What is it? Eleven points in twelve games? Is that what it is? Yeah, and he's a he's a plus ten. Which I mean, I don't really put a lot of plus, like into plus minus, but like that's like when you're a 19 year old playing in a men's league and you have 11 points, that's impressive. Like it's not like he has like 30 points and he's a plus 10. It's he's literally a plus 10 with 11 points. That's ridiculous. And isn't he exactly what the team's missing right now? Like that goal scoring. If he's able to provide that at the NHL level and be like a 20 to 30 goal scorer. That's kind of exactly what Ottawa's missing in their lineup for the long term. So, um, yeah, it, when they first made the pick, I was uh, in the same boat saying, who is this guy? And we passed up, you know, all these other players. And now it's like, okay, <laughs> they knew exactly what they were doing. This guy looks unbelievable. Yeah, and I mean, I just, I can't believe how, how and I mean, he was – he was playing third. Like he's, he's not even a top six guy. No, he's getting like third line minutes and still putting up those points. Yeah. It's ridiculous. He's, he's listed. I think the other day he was listed as the third, like right wing three. And I, like, that's ridiculous. I'm, he can play both sides, which is fantastic. Um, and I think he's the guy that should slot in, you know, could be your second like our, in the future. Could be our second line left winger beside, like a Stutzel and you know, Batherson at least, you know, until Dadunov moves on and then we get another right. Like it's just, we could see a top six of with Sakorov because he teams are the team seems high on him. Yeah. Um, you know there was t- like they asked him if he wanted to go back overseas on a loan and he said no. He rather stay in in. Canada and train with Batherson, which honestly I'm I'm totally okay with. Uh, and you know you have Yarby, Yar, Robbie Yarventi, you have Kachuk, Sikorov, Norris. There's so many possibilities for a future top six. It's ridiculous. And I think you know people people knock our our scouting staff. You know it's a small scouting staff, but I feel like that just in, puts a assurance on you know you know exactly what you're getting from players. Instead of having like twenty different pl- people being like, "Oh, here, here," you have like ten or five players being like, "Okay, like we've watched this kid. We know exactly what we're getting from this kid." And I think that realistically does a lot more. Like that, that's a lot more beneficial, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, that's an interesting take on it. I mean, I I do see it in another way as well, where you know I kind of wish that we had some of the finances that teams like the Leafs have, where. They have the ability to scout every single player in the draft and they could send guys over there. Um, so do I feel like we maybe passed up some talent in this draft? I, I don't know. It's so early to say. Um, but but if you look at you know drafts in recent years in the past, we're already seeing some risers that initially when they made the pick, we were like, really? Like you picked this guy over this guy? And you know, Pinto's a prime example of that. But, uh, you know, Colin White really is another one recently. But, uh, but yeah, um, I'm all for seeing some of these guys that I love the Sokolov pick, you know, overager, 20-year-old, uh, just brings a ton of personality. And, yeah, he could be a professional hockey player right away. So I do like some of the, the swings that they made. And Yarventi is another one that's really growing on me. Oh, 100%. I mean, it can go either way, right? Because if you have a big scouting staff and, and you have busts, you have more busts than fines. Like you're looked at, okay, you know, you're, you're overspending the quality you're getting for the money you're spending 
isn't very good. And then you have Ottawa where like lower lower spending, but the quality you're getting is relatively high. You know, you look at the, the late round gems we've had, you know, Batherson being one, a fourth round pick, Stone, Pajot, Hoffman, all these guys being, you know, late round picks. I think we're getting, we're one of the teams that probably gets the most money is worth in terms of the their scheduling department. Yeah. And it really is such a surprising thing when they're so underfinanced compared to some of these other teams. So, you know, um, at some point you stop looking at it as a luck thing and you start looking at, you know, what are they doing right? Yeah. And I mean, it looks like player development's on the right track. Uh, so, you know, hopefully, you know, Trent Mann and uh, Sean Don, like Trent, what Trent Mann has going on in Belleville is fantastic. What the guy, what, you know, Clark MacArthur, Ch- Jesse Winchester, and Sean Donovan have been able to do last year. You know, we saw the rise of some, you know, Norris and Formanton in Belleville and, you know, Nick Paul, Batherson. They've all started to increase, you know, Kachuk. I think our player development staff has been very well, very has put has put together a very good program for whatever they're doing. I think it's just bright. Like uh, our future in Ottawa is relatively bright when it comes to, to the prospect side of things. But bringing up Yarby, Robbie Arventi, we have to look at, you know, his teammate, uh, Lassie Thompson, who kind of seems to be stagnant in Finland right now. Uh, he was scratched uh, one of their previous games. He was the seventh defenseman for their a game like two days ago. There, you know, he, from, from all the reports I've been able to find, he looks relatively stagnant. Uh, he kind of tailed off after the World Juniors. Um, I haven't been like I haven't obviously like you know watching European games. Haven't really been able to due to work and other things. But I've also heard I've also seen people saying that he's fallen out of favor of the coach because that he didn't perform up to what they wanted him at the World Juniors as as being the captain and like apparently there, there's so much interest. There's so many to this story that. You know, people are call, already calling him a bust. Yeah, it's way too early, way too early to make that proclamation. I think this is—he's what twenty years old. Yeah, he just turned twenty this year. Yeah, so I mean, it's way too early to call him a bust. Um, I do see people like Yoki Nevalainen, who follows these um, Finnish prospects really closely, and I, I seen a tweet that said, you know, Lassie Thompson has become a complete ghost out there. Um, his minutes were reduced. I know he got stra- uh, he got scratched the other day, but he, he was only getting like seven minutes a game um, at one point. So he, he's definitely fallen out of flavor. And I do think it happened after the World Juniors. He didn't have a real strong World Juniors, um, despite being the captain of the team. Uh, I think he really fell down that lineup as well. And kind of after that, I don't know if it kind of damaged his confidence or what happened. Uh, one thing I do know is that he has an incredibly hard shot. <laughs> so if that's able to uh, transfer anywhere along the lines, um, that could be something that Ottawa could use. I definitely think he was expecting to come north um, this season, and I think he was excited for a fresh start. But because of COVID and whatnot, they're like, uh, you know, we want you playing, and he's like, okay. I don't think what we're seeing in Lassie Thompson is what we're going to get. I think when he comes over, he's going to play in Belleville. Uh, I think he, he'll he give, because everything I've seen, he's also not really been given a role. And I think we saw it a lot in the World Juniors where he was kind of just expected to do everything, but he wasn't really given the supporting cast to do everything. And I think it kind of, I think it reminds me a lot of how like we treated CeCe in early in his career where like, 
he was a two-way defenseman in junior, but then he, we, we brought him up. He's like, hey, you're going to be the offensive guy. Like, you're going to be the puck mover on this line. And then, you know, a couple of games later, he's like, hey, you're going to be the defensive guy on this line. And we just never – like, no one really let CC play his game. And that was at a very early – like, early part of his career. And I think it just damaged him for the rest of his – like, will damage him for the rest of his career, unfortunately. And I think that's kind of what's happening in, in Finland with, with Thompson is that, like, they're not playing him in a role. Like, they're not playing him consistently in a role to help him kind of get his confidence back. They're like, okay, we're going to put you here. We're going to put you here. But if you make a mistake, we're going to pull you. He seems to have a really short leash, and that's not something you can have with a prospect. Yeah, and and I'm interested to see how much uh, how much hate you receive for that Cody CC comparable to, to Lassie Thompson. <laughs> But uh, it is what it is. I, I agree with what you're saying. Like, it, it, it is along the lines of development. And I think in Belleville, like you said, right now, we have much better development than we had when Cody Cece was here. Agreed. So hopefully, yeah, hopefully they can recognize, you know, where Lassie Thompson is comfortable. And we'll see the rise of Lassie Thompson um, whenever Belleville gets going in February or whatever they're aiming for. Yeah, I mean, if you look at I think people forget that if you look at when Cody Cece was drafted, I think it was 2012. Uh, I think there was, there was one year in that mix. We just had like three first round picks and they were all busts. You know, they yeah. were you know, Shane Prince, Matt Pumple, And I can't remember that there was another guy and they were just all busts. And they were all like within like that three, four year span, you know, Curtis Lazar kind of slotted in there and they were just, they were just all busts. They just never lived up to their potential. And unfortunately, like, it wasn't until I think 2016 is where we kind of saw the script. And I think that's kind of where we're seeing an issue with Logan Brown is because of that. Uh, that he was at the beginning of the, the development restructuring, you know, Boucher didn't really like him. Didn't really see him. Like didn't really want him at camp. And I think it was the same thing with Nick Paul. Like never really gave him any direction and the development team wasn't really like, they didn't have much direction. Uh, and it wasn't really until Belleville came, like Binghamton moved to Belleville, that our our development has kind of improved greatly. Like it, it's improved dr- dramatically. Yeah, in Logan's uh, Logan's case, I think you know a player that got kind of labeled as a lazy player that lacked the motivation and intensity right off the hop has hurt him ever since. Like you said, I think he was there for the Boucher days and the. You know, the, a, a much different developmental team uh, that they have now. Um, and he started kind of throwing shots back at the Senators uh, by using his agent this past season, you know, suggesting that he didn't get any opportunity. Um, I, I think it's good that you brought that up because I, I wanted to ask you this. Um, do you think Logan Brown is going to be here come camp? I think so. I think he's shown glimpses of his like of his actual potential, like potential. Um, it's just a matter of him being able to to take control of this. Like, I think he was kind of given an unfortunate hand. It's the same thing with Brandstrom, right? Like, our team last year wasn't very good, and I think if you're looking at a developmental stage, like he's not a Kachuk, he he isn't a Shabbat. Like, I think that that's pretty clear. You know, he when and when he was up here playing top six minutes, he was producing. Like, you know, he was making plays, he was driving plays, he was great on the power play. 
His passing is incredible. It was just the fact that like our team around him wasn't good. Same thing yeah. with Brandstrom. It's like Brandstrom, we didn't have the finishing talent that neither player needed. That's why Shabbat had a down year uh, in terms of like overall play. I think if given the shot, I think Logan Brown could be a number one center, number two center. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see if he's given a shot. If there's an offer on the table that includes him that you really can't say no to, you you're so deep at center right now that I don't think you can you you say no. But I think it, it, there has to be an offer that it's kind of like you can't like if you turn this down you're dumb. I don't think he'll he he's not a make it or break it deal like prospect in terms of a deal. But I don't think they're shot they're gonna actively shop him. Yeah, I don't think he's worth very much of anything right now anyway. Um, but but I do kind of wonder if he does make it to camp, um, especially with where things left off. Um, and if you listen to any kind of media appearance that Ottawa makes, um, they're quick to point out the players that they liked from last year. Um, and Logan Brown's name never comes up in that conversation. Um, so... I think he'll have to work extra hard if he wants a roster spot, but I, I also think he needs to be an NHL player this year. There's nothing more this kid has to prove at the American Hockey League level, um, you know, unless you're sending him there to work on, specifically work on his skating and his, his speed. But that's something he's been working on now for, you know, how many years? I think this is the make it or break it year for Logan Brown. Um, and if it doesn't work out, I do believe uh, he will be shocked. See, I think I look at Logan Brown a lot like I look at Nick Paul. And Nick Paul was blind, like given blind direction. You know, the when he was sent down at the beginning of last season, it, he, if I remember correctly, he basically said that this was the first time that he felt confident of what he needed to work on when he was sent down, he felt like this is the first time, like someone has told me like my, the specific things I need to work on to be back here. And he is, and he, he's now a full-time NHL. You know, he's on a one-way deal, uh, you know, had a great, great year uh, with Ottawa this year. And I think, you know, he was 24 when that, he was 24 when the season started. I think Logan Brown will kind of slot in at that same situation where he should have never been in camp to begin with. Uh, under under Boucher, like his draft year, he should have just been sent back down to to Windsor. He should have never been. He should have never made it to camp. And I think, as much as you know, it's one of those things where you look at like they don't want to pull a, a Zabanajad where they were moving him constantly up and down, weren't really giving him. And I mean, in fairness to to the organization, Zabanajad had his own his own issues off the ice in terms of did he really want to be here and whatnot. But you look at you look at Logan Brown. He's twenty two. Do you really want to move on from a twenty year two year old six foot like six center who might just need a little like might just need a little bit more development? Yeah, like it's and, one of those things that like it's a it's a catch twenty two. You know, it's one of those things that can either work out really good for you or it can bite you in the butt. Absolutely. And, and thankfully, um, Logan Brown is not a DJ in the offseason, <laughs> much yeah. like Mika Zibanejad was. <laughs> yeah, no, like, I just think that if uh, if we're patient with him, because like 2016, like realistically, uh, if we're going to give up on Logan Brown, we should give up like 
Christian Willandon was drafted in 2015. He's only played 14 more games than Logan Brown has at the NHL level. And everyone's super high on Christian Willandon, but it seems like Logan Brown is just put onto the wayside. And I think that's kind of where the draft position becomes important because he was drafted at like 10th or 10th or 11th overall. Yeah. You know, people are like, Oh, he's a top, a top 15 pick. He should make an impact right away. That's not how it goes sometimes. And I think Ottawa, like we need to just be a little bit more patient because again, you know, Joey Decord, Christian Yaros, you know, Christian Yaros has more games than, and then Logan Brown and, and Christian Lennon and he's on the fence. And same with slapping is that there's a lot of guys who have more games than Logan Brown uh, who are still on the fence. The same goes with, you know, Drake Batherson is that he hasn't Drake Batherson has more games than Logan Brown. He has 10 more points in like 13, 14 more games, but he's still on the fence. He's not guaranteed a roster spot. You know, he was sent down. He, he was playing fourth line when at the beginning of the year last year, like he, he's not guaranteed a roster spot. And none of these players, none of these prospects are as much as we want to say, Oh, Norris and Batherson and, you know, as high as we are on them, none of them are guaranteed a part. Like anyone who's on a two way contract is basically not guaranteed a contract uh, or guaranteed a roster spot. And it's just like, maybe we need to temper expectations a little bit as a fan base. Maybe we have to, just kind of realize that hey, there's a plan in place, and if you're gonna if you're gonna perform, you're gonna get the spot. And I think it just comes down to to the roster spots available uh, and how they're gonna perform in camp. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's not many spots left, and uh, one of the interesting things being floated out there, um, we know that you know if you're coming into camp, you've got to perform and you've got to earn a spot. I think they've made that clear. Um, what what's your opinion on? the Frank Saravelli rumor that Ottawa could potentially be adding Corey Perry. Okay. So this is funny because I remember, so I tweet made a tweet out October 12th, basically being like, how do Ottawa fans feel about Corey Perry? Cause this was just after Toffoli signed with Montreal. And we were like, you know, this was before the Dadunov signing. And, and I believe before or just after the Watson trade. And it's just like, you know, how, how would you feel about adding Corey Perry? If you're, if you really think, if you really look at Batherson being our top six right winger, um, and you know, Dadenoff aside, like if we weren't going to bring Dadenoff in, you're most likely going to have Connor Brown playing the second line wing or, or whatever. Would you really feel confident in having a, a, a right wing that had Batherson, Brown, and, and just Watson and having a third, like, in terms of confidence, I wouldn't really be confident in that. I would I would love to have a guy like Perry in. With the Dadunov signing, I don't think it's necessary. But, you know, never say never at this point, right? Like, if he's willing to come on on, like, a good contract, uh, understands his role and what he's going to bring to the table, and he just wants to play, I'm all for it. You know, it would mean that Batherson would need to work just as hard as – to make the team, you know, could there be a chance that if he's not signed by training camp, we could bring him in on a, a PDO? You know, that, that, that has to be a possibility as well to kind of bring some camp competitiveness to, to camp. And I think 
it, it shouldn't be ruled out, but I wouldn't be very high on the possibility of happening right now. Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's probably something where they did have mutual interest at one point in time, but then, like you said, Watson was brought in and Dadnov was brought in, and all of a sudden things are pretty full. Um, if we're considering Drake Batherson a lock at uh, at the second line or third line right wing position, um, I would be interested. I mean, it would be a lot of fun having Brady Kachuk and Corey Perry on the same team. Um, very similar players and and Brady Kachuk is kind of you know Corey Perry is kind of what you're hoping Brady Kachuk turns into uh at some point in his career very similar playing style um so I mean it would be a lot of fun um but I don't know necessarily if it's something that is an old rumor that just kind of resurfaced um or what happened there but I I would be quite surprised if it happened yeah, 100%. I think if you look at the roster makeup of the team right now, he just doesn't fit. But again, it, with this team, you can really never say never. Uh, people didn't see some of the moves happening, uh, you know, especially the Dynamo setting. I don't think anyone really expected that. I think when it happened, everyone was like, oh my God, what, what just happened? They're actually spending money. Uh, it's the same thing with the Matt Murray trade. No one really saw it coming. Uh, you know, there was rumors and whatnot, but, you know, rumors are rumors. Until it actually happens, no one can really... Um, guarantee that it's happening. So, like, I think with the Corey Perry thing is that it needs to be taken seriously. I think it's a, there was a serious consideration to bring him on. And with the uncertainty of the season, who knows what happens? Maybe they do bring him on. Maybe they don't. It, if they are allowed to carry more players than, than the 23, maybe they decide to bring him in as an insurance partner. It, it really depends on how, how the next couple months plan out. Yeah, definitely an interesting uh, next couple of months. Um, in my opinion, it, it looks done. Like this looks like a finished product. Um, but as you said, I mean, anything can happen. It's it's a different kind of time right now. Um, and uh, and we need to talk about someone that was recently brought in as well. Yeah, <laughs> we do. Uh, I think I've made it like on Twitter and whatnot. I've been a huge supporter of this signing. I was up on this signing in like June or July where I was like, this guy would fit in perfectly. And people ridiculed me for it being like, Oh, he's, he's nothing like he won't fit. whatnot." man, Alex Galchenyuk one year, 1.05 million. That is a personally a steal of a contract. Yeah. It's, it's not even a low risk deal. It's a no risk deal. You're bringing a guy in for just over a million dollars. If DJ Smith finds that he doesn't want to play Galchenyuk and, and Galchenyuk's not performing and he's not battling and he's not working his butt off, then guess who's riding the pine? Alex Galchenyuk. You don't have to play a player that's making a million dollars. There's no on, on a one-year deal. There's no guarantee there. So for me, it's roster competition. And if things work out, it has potential to really work out, much like the Duclair thing, but you're not paying a guy five years at $5 million for inconsistency. You're paying a guy $1 million for one year. It's an amazing contract. And if you look at numbers, Galchenyuk's the better player of the two. You know, 320 points in uh, 549 games. You know, he's had three, five straight seasons up until last year of 40-plus points. You know, he had 24 points last year in, like, 59 games, which would have had him higher than some of the players in Ottawa. Like, 
he would have been like eighth or ninth or like seven or eight in Ottawa scoring. Like, so $1 million for a guy approving a, a guy who's put up points who can play in your middle six power play penalty kill. Personally, I think we have a better, like we have an upgrade over Duclair. Uh, I know how much of a Duclair fan you are, but personally, I, I look at the two players and I think Galchenyuk just brings more consistency. And if he can find rhythm with whoever down the middle, or if he's playing in the middle, you know, it's, it bring, and again, brings us more versatility because, okay, you can put him on the left wing. If someone gets hurt in the middle, you can slide him over in the middle. Like it just brings you more versatility, which with this so much uncertainty, that's what you need. Exactly what you said. And I, and I think about it in camp too. So you have probably two open roster spots if we're looking at it right now for about seven players battling for those spots. And I'll list the players. And two of these players, at least two of them, are centers. So if they make the team, you could slot Galchenyuk to the left wing. And if the left wingers here make the team, you could slot Galchenyuk at center. So adding that versatility, like you said, over Duclair, it's a really smart move. So the players battling for the two open spots that I see right now, either a center position or a left wing position, Timmy Stutzla, Josh Norris, Logan Brown, Vitaly Abramov, Philip Schlappick, Rudy Balsers and Alex Formanton. Out of those players, who do you think makes the roster? Balsers, because he okay. Here's my thing with with Balsers. If he doesn't get hurt last year, he makes the team out of camp and Batherson sent down. Uh, you know, if you Bruce Garriock, Brent Wallace, they've all they all said last year that Rudolph Balsers had the best camp out of any Ottawa prospect that year, and. You know, they, they taught, you know, Logan Brown, Drake Batherson didn't have good camps. And and I think it's the same thing with Branstrom. If Branstrom, if Willanda doesn't get hurt, Branstrom doesn't make the opening night roster. And I don't, that's not necessarily a slight against them. That's just, that's just reality. And I think Balsers, he's having a really good, he has a great startup overseas in, I think, Norway. He's going to yeah. carry the momentum he had in Belleville last year into camp. I think Balsers has a chance, depending on the route they want to go, to be that third or second line left winger, depending on how they want to play Galchenyuk. Yeah. Um, Balsers is a really good name. Um, The one that I'm betting on the most is Tim Stutzla. I think if, if, and it's a big, if he's able to get the contract stuff worked out and come over, I think the senators will want to sell their third overall pick to the fan base. Um, Now I've heard counterpoints where, you know, some people don't believe Tim Stutzla is ready and they feel like he'd be rushed a little bit. But what I will say is I would be absolutely shocked if the contract is worked out and Stutzla isn't at least on the roster to start opening day, getting that nine-game sample size. Uh, agreed. And I think the Galchenyuk signing kind of is more of an insurance marker. It, for like, I think the, the way I look at it is I think there's still there's a, a little bit, maybe maybe a little bit more than, than a little bit of doubt that Stutzel, excuse me, that Stutzel will be available for the team this year. I think there, there's growing concerns that uh, uh, Mannheim will not let him go uh, if if there is if they do exp- have a season. I think they're going to look at it as like, well, we have a season. You know, we're going to keep him here. You can have him next year. Uh, I think there's a growing concern of that, and I think the Galchenyuk signing kind of. Uh, 
solidified that concern because he can play the same positions that Stutzel can. So if he's if he's at camp, I think he makes it. But I'd be very I'm cautiously optimistic about him being in camp to begin with. Yeah, I think uh, exactly what you said. There are some parallels there. They're both left wing slash centers, um, and it is interesting that after we hear you know some at least some controversy with getting Stutzla to sign his entry level deal. Um, there's definitely the potential that, you know, that's because, or, or Gal, Galchenyuk has added because Tim Stutzla is now not expected to make the roster. Um, the other player I want to mention for that open spot is Vitaly Abramov. Um, I think he's a dark horse to make it, um, but he is lighting it up right now uh, in the top league in Finland. And I, I, I believe Abramov is going to do what he did last year. He's going to come to camp and steal someone's job. Um, you know, last year, right off the top, he was one of their hottest players in uh, throughout preseason. Uh, what do you make of Vitaly Abramov? Yeah, so he's seven points in six games and uh, for uh, Jerkerit. And I mean, just to give some backstory, Jerkerit or Jerkerit, uh, if, yeah. uh, it's one of those two. Uh, they were one of the worst offenses in Liga, in Finland, up until he sh- up until he showed up. I think they had like four goals in their first like three or four games, and then Abramov came in and he had four goals in four periods. Uh, I think Abramov. This is the beauty of Balsers and Abramov. They can both play left or right wing, and I think Nick Paul is kind of going to be slotted at that fourth line, fourth third line left wing. He kind of bounced up up and down a little bit, but I think he's going to be the bottom six left wing. There's no. No debating that. I think, realistically, the only two spots that I can see that are open is your left wing two and your left wing three. And who knows? Maybe Galchenyuk slots in at that left wing two, so maybe, you know. But I think Abramov and Balsers are your two two players to watch out for at camp. I think the Senators would be more than confident allowing Norris and Brown to go back to Belleville for a year. And it's not even a full year. I think that's the thing that we need to remember is that like, it's not going to be a full year. It's going to be like four months. Yeah. And this is kind of the decisions you have to make is that, you know, you're going to be playing again your first time in almost a year. Would it really be beneficial for you to be up in, a, in the NHL in this weird, weird year? Cause honestly, I'm not expecting them to like, you know, let's say they play, they start, you know, f- game start February 1st. Um, and they run from February for the seasons from February 1st to May 1st, whatever the case. And the games, you know, the season's done by the end of July, but they want camp again at like starting in like late September. Yeah. Is that really beneficial for the team at, or in the player? Probably not. I would have no issue with them being sent back down to Belleville, uh, having them play however long that season is in Belleville. And then be ready for training camp in the September of 2021. And I think that's kind of the the decision that Dorian needs to kind of figure out on how he wants to do this. Is that does he want a year of just, you know, we're gonna have veterans because of the uncertainty? Or and then you have to look at it as like, okay, well, if there's no AHL season, then we're gonna have to get these players playing. There's there's a lot of work that Dorian has to do, and I just I don't know. I think Abramov and Balser, they're having too good of a year, have started off too good in, in in Europe to not be considered the two favorites to 
to start. They, you know, none of the other guys have been playing. Yeah, and those those two will definitely have a leg up uh, coming into camp, just having regular games and playing against high level competition. Um, I think Stutzla could perhaps make the. I mean, he would make the World Juniors. He would be their captain, but um, he is just coming off. He will be coming off an injury and a surgery. So, um, again, if the contract thing works out, I expect him to be slotted in at least for the start of the season for the nine games. If he struggles at all, I don't think they'll hesitate to send him down or send him back to Germany. Yeah, and I mean, again, I think it would be – Man, it, it's so hard to really get a point on what's going to happen because of the uh, uh, the uncertainty around the league. Is that like if Dell has a season, it's probably not going to be a very long season. You know, in the NHL, there's talk of it being a 42 game season, just like it was in the shortened lockout year. Like, there's so much uncertainty that like looking at this roster is almost an extremely hard outside of the right side. Like, you outside of like. Batherson, you know who's going to be on the right side. Down the middle, you you really know it's going to be Tierney, Colin White, and Anisimov. Most likely Galchenyuk is going to slot in down the middle. Left side, you're going to have, you know, Paul and Kachuk. There, there is a lot of uncertainty around where players are going to sit and how they're going to construct this team. So who knows what they do? Maybe... Maybe they do go after a Corey Perry and they're like, hey, we're going to sign you. You're going to be our third line winger. We're going to move someone over to the left side or whatever the case may be. It's just like, yeah, it's, it's... that could happen. And, and I, another point to what you were saying is, do you really want to burn Tim Stutzla's uh, entry level contract if they are playing like a 42 game season? I don't, I personally, I wouldn't if that's the case. Not at all. I would I, even if they were playing a full eighty-two game season. I wouldn't want to burn, like, if if you are playing a full eighty-two game season, but you know, like, if the NHL comes out like, okay, we're gonna play from February first to to June first. Playoffs are gonna run until August, like end of August, um, or whatever the case may be, and then we're gonna have a we're gonna start our season October first, whatever. Like, you know, we're gonna have a month and a half, two months off. Draft will be middle of September. Training camps open up uh, October 10th. Do you really want to burn a year of, of that kind of condensed schedule for someone who's never played in that kind of environment? Like the Dell season is not very long. It's also spread out a lot. Like the games are spread out. So you're going to force a kid to come overseas during a pan, like a pandemic season to play a condensed 82 game season just for the turnaround to be like three months, two two months to play a, a full length eighty two season, I just don't see the benefit in that. I don't see the benefit in that for Stutz. I don't see the benefit for that with the team. If you let his contract slide, you don't sign him for the till the twenty one twenty two season. That also gives you an extra year of flexibility. You know that gives you a little bit more leeway in terms of, you know competitiveness and like when you're competing for a cup. You know we talked about that with Ian Mendez. Is that like you want to be competitive by like the, his third year. Well, if that third year is 23-24, I'm okay with that. Right. So it would give you that extra year of, you know, the Senators being in their window of compete out 100%. of Stutzla without, you know, without burning the first year. 
I get that point. I think selfishly, I just want to see what he can do at the NHL level. Um, and I would love to at least see him in camp and through preseason. Um, and if that's it, so be it. Like, I, I don't mind, like you said, I don't mind seeing him get sent back to Germany and develop there. And uh, some people actually think that that's what's best for him. Agreed. I mean, I I looked at this draft class and there was only really two players in my mind that could step into the NHL right away. And one of them went to New York and the other one went to Minnesota. Marco Rossi. Yeah. yeah. And it's not it's yeah. not because that they're better. I mean, Lafreniere is better than any of them, but I don't, it's not because Marco Rossi is better than Stutzel. Yeah. It's the fact that he's been playing in North America the last two years. And he's used to playing on North American ice. He's he's also a center. Like he's been playing center his last two years. He'll be playing center in Minnesota. Stutzel has been flipping between wing and center in Germany. He's playing on international ice. You know, you're gonna want to develop him in one of this one of these positions first, and you want to get him used to North American ice. I don't see it being beneficial for for the the club to have him in in Ottawa, I'd much rather him go to Belleville, really. If I had to choose between Ottawa, Belleville, or, or Germany, I'm sending him to Belleville 100%. And I'm like, okay, you're going to be our left winger. We're going to develop you as a left winger because we feel like right now that's our biggest need. We want to see what you can do as a left winger, and we'll move you over to center because, you know, that that's just the way it is. Like, you know, if you look at our left wing, yeah, there's Balser's Foreman too, but we don't outside of Kachuk, we don't have that elite top six forward on the left side. You can make an argument that Norris, Pinto, Connor Brown, Colin White can be those elite top six centers. And you know, you can you have we have Dadenoff on the right side for the next three years. We have you know Batherson, hopefully he'll find his own and have a breakout season, but our left side looks relatively weak. Yeah. So maybe maybe that's kind of the position they're looking at now is like, okay, we'll bring you over to North America, but you're going to go to Belleville and play on the left side. Yeah, and it would be kind of fun seeing uh, a combo of Tim Stutzla and Josh Norris in Belleville. Um, I think Norris is a finisher. Like he's more of a, a shoot first kind of guy. And, and to have Stutzla setting him up, I think they would absolutely dominate in Belleville. It would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, if you look at a top six – of uh let's say Balsers makes the NHL. Let's say he's our, yeah. our left winger. Um and they bring in Corey Perry or they bring in another center. And we have a top six in Belleville of Tim Stutzel, Stutzla, uh Josh Norris, and uh Vitalia Bramoff as your first line and your second line of Alex Formanton, Logan Brown, and uh Sikorov as your second line. And then you fill out the third line with, you know, you have Parker Kelly, you have Castle, you have so many of these other guys that are slotting it. And then you have Branstrom and uh, LeJoie on the left side. Yeah. You have Lassie Thompson and Christian Yaros on the right side. Like, and then you have Joey DeCord and and Philip Gustafson in net. Like not even fair. You're finishing. (laughs) Like if you're, if you're Ottawa, you're selfishly wanting these guys to play in Belleville to play together to go and win a more like a, a Calder Cup that they were wrongfully denied this year. Yeah, I, I'm because uh, I'm 100 percent guaranteed that the the Calder Cup Finals would have been Milwaukee, the the Admirals versus the Senators, and that would have been one hell of a series because the only time that they played each other was I think in Belleville, and Belleville was missing most of their defense because it was up in Ottawa, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's just like. 
I think, and that's also something you have to consider is like, okay, you know, you're not going to win in Ottawa right now. You, you know, for a fact that Ottawa is not going to make the playoffs next year, unless there's, they play out of their mind and they somehow squeeze in. And even if that's the case, that's great, but that you don't want to do anything to deviate from the plan, even from a little success. So why not send them over? Why not let them in Belleville and win together in Belleville? You know? Yeah. I know it doesn't necessarily always translate to NHL success, but you did, you still want to build that winning culture and you started in Belleville. You let them grow in Belleville. I don't see anything wrong with it. I mean, selfishly, I want them up here, but strategically, I think having them in Belleville is probably the best thing for them. Yeah. And aside from us again, like selfishly wanting to see some of these, you know, Norris and Stitzla and, and these guys transition their games to the NHL it's probably the best for their development to play in the American Hockey League and to dominate down there. Um, and that's what it's about right now in the rebuild. Like you said, we talked to Ian Mendez. If we're realistic about where we're at, um, player development is still at the first and foremost kind of where we're at right now. And you can't screw these guys' development up. Like, you, you can't screw up a Josh Norris. You can't afford to. You can't screw up a Tim Stutzla. No, and I mean, I think it's important to remember that, like, Josh Norris was in his first year. Like, him and Formenton were in their first year in the AHL. So, you know, why are we trying to rush these guys up? You know, Brown is – realistically, Brown is only entering, I think, his fourth pro year or second or third pro year. He's still in his ELC. So, he's entering his third pro yeah. year. Same with Batherson. So, why are we trying – like, I think we look too much at age, like – they're still on their entry level contracts. You know, they're entering their third pro year. We need to be calm. We need to be patient with these players. And I think that's the same thing with Norris and Ford. like they're entering their second pro year. Let them go back to Belleville, dominate again in Belleville, and just say, okay, cool. You dominated in Belleville. You enter your third pro year. And do you come up here with confidence and swagger and moxie of like, you know, we were able to win together. We were able to win together in Belleville. We can do this in here. And you're part of the solution, not part of the problem. Right. Yeah, you want you want these players to be impact players at the NHL, not just players that are slotted in and, you know, trying to keep up. So ultimately, that's uh, that's the hope. And you have to look at each case kind of individually and, and see where the players are in camp. Agreed. And I think Bolsters is going to have a dominant camp. But, you know, we're, we're over an hour, which, I mean, is, is fantastic because there's been a lot of talk about good discussions. Um, we're going to take a, a quick break because when we get back, we will have our final segment of our over-under. Uh, we've been kind of hinting at it on Twitter. It'll be uh, – it's about Galchenyuk. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have that, and we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up. Hello, hello, hockey fans. My name is Nick Berlansky, host of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. My co-host, Nick Horwat and I talk all things Pittsburgh Penguins, from top news to game analysis and other unconventional hockey talk. We've got you covered. A team in the playoffs or in the play-in round won the first overall pick, and I wanted to throw my phone clear across this plane. <laughs> 
Nope, nope. He will. Yeah, see, there's he your hot will. take. Got it. Where That's is? my hot take. <laughs> he will be a Hockey Hall of Famer, if not possibly first ballot Hall of Famer. That was just awful officiating. And who who was this this scrub that was officiating? Let me let me look it up real quick. Mark Rasheed, <laughs> something like that. Oh oh, Recky. I just I just wanted to see him booming it from blue line to blue line, being the lines. That's all I wanted to see. Very few general managers have those type of players, let alone three players that you can easily say, if I don't trade them, my team will be better. So all I have to do is not make a move. And I get that's a foreign concept for Jim Rutherford, but you just don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it. You don't do that. (laughs) New episodes every Monday. Tune in at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. And let's go Pens. All right. Again, if you know, if you don't know, we're part of the Hockey Podcast Network. You can find all 31 teams and much more on the Hockey Podcast Network. We're streaming on all services: YouTube, Spotify, Apple, everywhere, everywhere you can find your podcast. So look it up, Hockey Podcast Network. Fantastic group of guys. We're back with Derek and Lee. Um, for that being, you know, before the break, we've been great discussions about everything going on with the Sens. We talked about Galchenyuk, the big signing. Everyone's kind of wondering where he'll fit in. So we got our over-under, um, and man, this one's an interesting one because I feel like it's a two-parter with the way the season's going. So we, we've tweeted on it. We put it out on Twitter. The goal total for Alex Gachanyuk. And some of the replies, you know, they're like saying, oh, in like certain amount of games. So this is now a two-part question. In an 82-game season, I would have Galchenyuk looking at his career at 22 and a half goals in a full season. If we're playing an abbreviated 42-game season or whatever the case, I have him slotted in at nine and a half goals. So for the first question, for a 20 for an 82-game season, if they somehow manage to pull that off, the over-under on 22 and a half goals from Alex Galchenyuk, what are you taking? I'm going to go against the grain because I've been reading some of the comments on Twitter. Um, and I'm going to take the over. I think Galchenyuk is in a position where he needs to perform. He was just on TSN 1200 yesterday. Um, He had a good interview on there, and he knows what he has to do. He has to be an impact player. Um, He has to return to almost his 30-goal form that he was in Montreal. Um, I think we're going to see a player that is going to bring it, that knows he has to perform. And I think Alex Galchenyuk is going to score 25 goals. He's going to lead the Senators in goals. This season, 25-goal season, he's going to have a huge year, a huge year, and Ottawa will be in a, a very favorable position of, you know, either trading him at the deadline or re-signing this player. Yeah, and I mean, I, I agree. I think everything looks like he's going to get top six potential, like he's going to be situated in a top six role uh, for everything I've been able to find is I don't see him being slaughtered in as, like a, as our third-line player. Uh, and I'm excited to see what he can do. Um, I got to take the over. I'm going to say he hits 25 goals. I don't think he hits 30. Uh, I think he's going to have a really good season. I think he hits over 50 points, though. I think he's going to hit like like almost 60 points because I feel like he's going to play with a lot of finishers. You know, Drake Batherson and, and Rudolph Balser's on that second line. He's going to be pass- he's going to be dishing the puck more than he's putting in the net. But I think he's still going to get some power play goals. I'm going to have him at 25 goals, so two and a half over the over. Um, so that on an 82 game season, if we're going to talk about a 42 game season, 
that's a whole different kettle of fish. You had nine and a half point, nine and a half goals. Are you taking the over on this? I feel like you are. I'm, I'm still going to go over. I think there's a little bit more pressure, if that's the case, for him to perform. I mean, you, you can't really hit dry spells um, on, on a shortened season like that. So for an inconsistent guy like Galchenyuk, I think there's some risk there. But, but it's only nine and a half goals. I still think he'll muster up 12 goals if we're going, you know, with a, with a 42 game season. Yeah, I think, see, I want to take the over. I mean, he had like nine goals last year, I believe in like 59 games. It's just, I, I'm going to take the under though. And it's not because I don't think he's going to perform. I think still think he's going to hit like 30 plus points. I just don't see him being a goal scorer, uh, consistently i think he's going to be kind of your primary assist guy he's going to be the guy like he's going to set up a lot of goals i don't think he's going to score a lot of goals in a 42 game season i would take the under on this and i'm not saying that that's a bad thing i think people are going to look at it as like oh we can't even hit 10 like digit like hit double digits and goals i think we're i mean it's a kind of a one segment but like you know points i think if you're going to look at the over under on points i think the over if you're going to look at over points on a 42 game season, I, I'm going to take the over. If we're going to put it like over 30 easily, I think he can hit 30. I think he can hit 60 points with this team. And who knows what happens? Maybe he's playing top line minutes with Kachuk and Dadunov, right? Like that's where I see him. That, that's exactly where I think he's going to slot in to start. Like it's just there's so many unknowns, and I think obviously we're kind of you know early early predictions. Once we kind of get a obviously once they start putting them out. Um, cause I haven't really put out anything significant there. There's multiple different ones that are saying, Oh, he's going to hit like 15 goals and whatnot. And like, until we start seeing pretty like consistent numbers, um, it's kind of hard to really kind of get a point on it. But I think if it's an 82 game season, take the over. If, if you can wait until training camp, take, uh, on a 42 game season, uh, I would do that because it really depends on where he ends up. I think if he's on the first line, I'm taking the over. He's on the second or third line. I'm taking the under. Yeah, it'll be about minutes and and power play time as well. Uh, but uh, honestly, he's wearing 17, so mm. he he better perform because I don't think anyone who's worn 17 has really done anything. David Legwand. Uh, <laughs> nope. Uh, I think David Legwand, Max McCormick, and. Uh, Jonathan Davidson are the three last players to wear 17, at least that come to mind. Yep. Oh, wait, maybe Gibbons. Did Gibbons wear 17 when he was here after that trade with Anaheim? Or am I, I just. I think I'm, so. Let me look into it. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Going to, man, if you, if you ever. Hockey reference, man. They are the place to go for most of the stuff. I, I love hockey reference. They can give you everything you need for the most part. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I use hockey reference all the time for writing as well. It's ridiculous. So they've worn 14 players have worn it. Uh, John, yeah, Brian Gibbons, 2019. Okay. Yep. Uh, friggin', friggin', Philip Kuba is probably the most notable guy to wear oh, yeah. 17 in Ottawa. Yeah, the guy that was helped out the most by Eric Carlson. <laughs> that, yeah, that, I mean, that's definitely uh, a thing that that's – very true. Um, so basically, Alex Galchenyuk has the potential to be the best number 17 ever for Ottawa. <laughs> 100%. And I mean, not not hard to do. No. 
But I think, honestly, I like the prediction of him being the first line center. I think it's kind of up in the air. I think it's going to be an open competition in camp. I still think Anisimov is going to do it, though. I think I I would have to pick Anisimov as my number one center if that if we're gonna we're gonna do it. Um, I like that call. I, I really did. I you know when you said that, I started thinking about it more and more, and I was like, yeah, you know that makes a lot of sense. Now get that that Russian connection. Yeah. How? Who knows? Who knows? Maybe they maybe they say screw it, and for one game for training like in preseason, if there is a preseason, they do a Russian connection, and they have. Uh, <laughs> Abramov, Anisimov, and Dadanov. Yeah. The the off connection. They just go off every time they're on the ice. Yeah, or Galchenyuk over there on I know he's American Russian, but still Russian. You could have Galchenyuk, Anisimov, Dadanov. Yeah, I just like just give me the uh, oh man. If they they better for just even a game, like a or a shift. All the Russians on the ice together. <laughs> Abramov uh, Nisimov, Dadanov, Zaitsev, and Zub all on the ice together. <laughs> oh, my. That's It'd be lot. the new Russian five. There you go. <laughs> um, um, I mean, obviously, they're not ever going to touch the Russian five that was in Detroit, but, like, that, honestly, though, that'd be fantastic. Just all the all the Russians on the ice at the same time. Yeah, I think Don Cherry would be losing his mind. He was watching it at home. <laughs> With a Swedish goaltender in net. Yeah, there you go. Like, the only better thing is if we drafted Askarov and had him in there. They have all six Russians. Perfect. <laughs> That'd be ridiculous. Uh, but anyways, guys, uh, that's all for this episode. It was another fantastic one. Thank you, Derek, for, for joining us. Uh, you'll probably be joining us later this week. Um, it's always a great, great discussion with you. Uh, thank you guys for, for tuning in. You can follow us, sends underscore hour on Twitter and Instagram. Derek at Dealey 75 on Twitter. Myself at Shane underscore Ryan 97 on Twitter. And give the Hockey Podcast a follow. Great content, great giveaways. Got some things, kind of got, got a contest going up uh, shortly, and you're, you'll want to stay tuned if you haven't. Check our Twitter uh, when it drops because it should have dropped by now by the time you're listening to this episode. So, yeah, definitely check out our Twitter and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, uh, anything to add to that, Derek? Or Thanks, Shane, and thank you for listening. anyways stay safe out there guys it's already november so we got two months left of 2020 before we can start fresh in 2021 we'll pray for a good 2021 that's all we can say yeah (laughs) hope y'all had a fantastic halloween we'll see you back here on thursday with a brand new episode of the sun's hour podcast we always go live on twitter and youtube uh, so definitely keep a tune on for that have a good one we'll see you guys later